Uh, this morning, I want to play a little game. I want to give you some clues, just two clues per, uh, per thing that I want you to guess. Uh, two quick clues, and I want you to guess the, the creature or the animal that I'm describing. I think these are going to be easy. If I'm wrong, this could go really bad. All right? Uh, simple one to start with, right? I'm a light shade of pink, and I love to be filthy. What did you call me? <laughs> How rude. Yes, yes, it's a pig. She was right. Pink Panther is, I will also accept that. Okay. Um, I can chew on things for hours, like eight hours a day, and I taste really good with A1 sauce. Cow, yeah, yeah, cow. I'll accept steak. That, that's its ultimate form. You know, that's where it, you know, I better be careful. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, now here, this one's maybe a little tricky. I like to hang upside down and I creep people out. Wow, you guys. <laughs> that is, uh, that, yeah, I wish, I've got to start getting the gold stars because I really need to hand these out. Um, the noise that I make is best spelled with one specific letter of the alphabet and people like to cut my head off. What am I? Snake, right? That's what you do. Don't say what. That's what you do when you find a snake. You chop its head off and say, Sayonara, sucker, the world's a better place. Right? I mean, you guys are giving me no feedback here. I, right? right? Right. Thank you. I mean, yeah, well, that too. All right. Anyway, you guys are pretty good at that. I'm impressed and I'm also relieved because, like I said, I was nervous that you guys are going to be like, Pink and filthy. <laughs> Matt's doing two hands right there. <laughs> I know better than that. All right. Hey, uh, I want to bring you a message this morning from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, uh, called, What Creature Is This? <laughs> what Creature Is This? And don't worry, it's going to get better, I think, than what we've been talking about so far. Uh, but what creature is this from James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25? Uh, we got a little business to take care of first, but near the end of this message, we're going to discover a very specific kind of creature. <laughs> We're going to see this creature, uh, one that maybe you've never identified before. Now, I'm confident you've seen and interacted with this creature before, but maybe you've never identified the creature before, okay? So we're going to do that. Uh, stay tuned for that, but let's start by reading James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. Very familiar passage, one that I bring up all the time, uh, kind of as we're going, you know, to explain the importance of doing, not just hearing the word, but today we're going to examine it a little bit here, and um, well, we'll get to that as we go. All right, James chapter 1, starting verse 22. James writes, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Then verse 25 says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. So in this passage, it's, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, you can, um, you can see the picture, right? I mean, he's talking about people who hear God's word, but don't practice what they learn from it, right? They, they, don't, they see in the word what to do, and they don't do it. They see in the word what to stop doing, and they don't stop doing it. That's the picture he, he's giving, and he, he makes this point 
by comparing looking at, uh, well, hearing the word of God to looking into a mirror, right? People who look into God's word, yet they don't do anything about what they saw. James said those people are like people who look in a mirror and then forgot what they saw. Forgot what kind of person they are. Forgot that they were a man or woman, had a beard, didn't have a beard, had hair, didn't have hair, you know, whatever, glasses. They forget what they saw. They, they don't even think about it anymore. They do nothing about it or anything else. He, he sets up this picture for us, and we can, we can see it without probably too much uh, professional help. Uh, by the way, I don't know if I qualify as professional help, so don't take that the wrong way. But I want you to hear this. Just because James uses this picture of a person forgetting what kind of person they are, uh, that doesn't mean, looking into a mirror and forgetting, that does not mean that the only people who hear God's word taught or read it or whatever and don't do what it says, it doesn't mean that the only people who, who that describes them don't do what it says because they literally can't remember what it says. Okay, don't mistake the picture for uh, that's precisely the issue here. Like, you know, well, Bible, you need to be not so hard on these people. They can't remember. That's not necessarily what's going on here. And we're going to see there are other reasons. There are other uh, reasons that people may or may not do what God's word says. And this creature we're going to see at the end that I know you all are waiting for. Uh, I'm going to try to build attention as much as I can. Um, this creature that we're going to see at the end is going to demonstrate for us that it's not always just because you literally can't remember what it said. You know, I read it and then, well, I have trouble remembering what it said. That's not necessarily the issue here. In fact, it's probably not what James is hammering away at here, okay? So, so let's look at a couple of concepts, first of all, that we need to grasp firmly before we stumble onto this soon-to-be-revealed creature. I wish I could put like some echo on this microphone right when I say creature, creature, creature. That would be cool to me. All right, you guys clearly are not impressed. So first of all, James summarizes and he emphasizes a point for us here. An important concept that while James distills it and kind of makes it, uh, gives it to us in a compact form in these few verses, it's really spread all throughout Scripture. You can see this concept all throughout Scripture. And that concept is this, that God's Word teaches us about ourselves. Now, I'm not saying that's all that God's Word does. God's Word teaches us about God. God's Word teaches us about His Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. It teaches us about salvation. God's Word teaches us about all kinds of things and all kinds of people and places and history and all kinds of stuff. But we do need to understand the importance of this concept, that God's Word teaches us things that if it wasn't for God's Word, we simply wouldn't know these things about ourselves. Okay, so again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that that's all God's Word does, is teach us about ourselves. It's all about me. It's all about... No, no, no. No, no, no. God is the object of worship, not you. But God's Word teaches us things about ourselves that we wouldn't know unless we had God's Word. Okay, this fact's laid out for us in verses 23 through 25. Okay, that's, that's the, the bulk of what we read this morning, right? That's where, where we see it. The Word of God, James says, is this mirror. And we need to understand that it's a mirror that accurately reflects who and what we are, okay? Um, God's Word, for example, tells us how and why we were created. It's pretty cool to know how we were created. And we kind of take that for granted that, you know, we've got God's Word to, to tell us that, you know, in the beginning, God created. We know the story. But isn't that wild? As complex and, and you know, look at this. Look what I'm capable of, uh, good or bad. Look what I can do. Look who I am. And we know how. And even why we were created. What is the meaning of life? Isn't that what, like, the, the deepest question that, that exists on earth? We know both how and why we were created. God's Word tells us that. We wouldn't know otherwise. We wouldn't know. 
It shows us our weaknesses and our flaws. Uh, talk about a mirror, right? It shows us those things. It explains to us how we sin, what sin is, right? It tells us that we're something much more than animals, but, but definitely far less than God. It shows us where our place is in creation and how special we are to God and the great responsibility and accountability that comes along with that. Uh, it informs us that we're made in the image of God. There's a little more about our, our value and all that, but it also shows us and tells us that we mar that image when we sin. It shows us that we're spiritual beings designed to live forever with God in heaven or without Him in hell. It tells us that. We wouldn't know that otherwise. And it does more than just reflect flaws. It does more than just show us uh, what's wrong and show us certain things that, that need solutions and that we need to act on. It also tells us the solution to what we see in that mirror that, that might be wrong. It tells us not how to, not, you know, oh, you should part your hair to the left or to the right. Not that. It's, far, it's a far bigger deal than that, right? It tells us the solution to our ultimate, our biggest problems that exist in life for us, our sin problem and our death problem. It answers what's going to happen and how you can actually have an impact on that eternal destiny. God's done all the work, but your response is 100% required. It shows us that. It explains that, that that all comes through the blood of Christ, comes through His sacrifice, through His death, burial, and resurrection, all of it. But you know there are other mirrors that people look at, other mirrors that people look into to, to learn about themselves and to find out you know, what they think they need to know when they go looking for answers, go looking for information and, and try to figure out you know, what is the meaning of life and what really matters and how should I behave in this world and all that, what should I do with my life. There's other, there's other mirrors that people look into to learn about themselves. There's the mirror of society and its expectations. There's a lot of people that base their life off of that, right? They look into that mirror and they make decisions based off of what they see there. Uh, the mirror of culture, the mirror of, of ritual and religion. There's people who, who base their lives off of those things. Maybe not biblical things, but things that, you know, well, my great-grandparents did this and my grandparents did this and so that's what I'm going to do, you know. There's the mirror of philosophy, the mirror of education, the mirror of psychology, the mirror of literature. I mean, we could make a long list, couldn't we? We could go uh, on and on. Unfortunately, many of these other quote-unquote mirrors, they fail to give us a, a true reflection of ourselves. They're kind of like those uh, funhouse mirrors, right, that, that distort our image, you know. Uh, sometimes you catch it right at the right angle, and you're like, oh, that's much better, <laughs> right? You know, but, but we know that it's not right. We know that it's not the truth, okay? Uh, some of these mirrors, not the funhouse mirrors, the other mirrors that people look into to live their lives, some of these mirrors, they, they give us an inflated image of ourself. They, they, um, they hide our flaws. They minimize our, our, our weaknesses, things like that, which can create pride and an, an overinflated ego and things like that. Now, on the other hand, some mirrors do the opposite. Some of these mirrors give us a shrunken image of ourselves. They make us seem worse or, or more insignificant than we really are, right? We're, we're important to God. We're important in this world. And we need to know that. We don't need to get a, a big head about it, but we need a right image. And some of these mirrors don't do that. Uh, some of society's mirrors, they exaggerate our flaws and they can leave us feeling pretty disheartened, pretty discouraged, even, even depressed, right? That they can do this to us. Now, Interestingly enough, there are some other mirrors outside of the Bible that have the capability, sometimes, okay, you got to search for these, but there are other mirrors that can give us uh, kind of an, an accurate uh, look at our flaws, but the problem is they don't offer that solution that the Bible does. They can tell you all that's wrong. They can show you things that, you know, well, if you do this, that's a bad habit. 
If you do that, that's not good for you. That's unhealthy, right? Those are, are true statements, but they don't have an ultimate solution like the Bible does. They lack the information that a person needs to be saved from their sin, okay? Only the Bible offers that. Let me summarize this, the, the importance of this point that we're driving home here. Too many people... Young and old alike, this is not for, you know, just, you know, young people in high school, junior high, elementary school, or, or college age. It's for young and old, all of us in this room. Too many people have this warped sense of who they are and who they need to become because they've spent too much time looking into the wrong mirrors instead of what James calls the perfect law, the law of liberty. All right, talking about what God has said about being saved, what God has said about uh, what, what uh, puts you in an unsaved state and, and how you become saved. They, they spent too much time looking at other things rather than the most important thing. Everything we need to know is in the Word of God, right? It, it's the accurate spiritual mirror that we need to see ourselves as we really are, but it also contains that knowledge that we need to live life right, the way that we need to, to live in a way that honors the God who created us, who gave us His Word, who gave us all this information, okay? So here's the challenge, I guess. How often are we looking at that mirror? How often are we looking at the spiritual mirror that God gave us. God's given us this, this powerful tool, this powerful resource. How, how often are we looking into this mirror? And here's a big one. How intently are we looking? Because that's one of the words that James uses. But he who looks intently at the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty. Right? How intently are we looking at that. How often and how intently? Challenging questions. Now, this idea of intently, looking intently, leads us into our, our second important concept to grasp here. In verse 25, James wrote, but one who looks intently, see it there? One who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, that's important, not having become a forgetful hearer, that's easy to do, but an effectual doer, that takes intentionality, focus, and effort, this man will be blessed in what he does. And so with that, we learn this next concept that blessing comes from hearing and doing. Okay? Blessing comes from hearing, but also doing. Look intently. Hear what it says, but do what it says. Don't become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. When we hear the word sometimes again and again and again, over and over, hearing it preached, hearing it taught, uh, discussing it uh, with other people, uh, you know, all these different ways that we can receive the word of God uh, on our own or with others. When we do that, but we don't practice what we, what we heard, don't, don't do what we read, um, don't act on the sermon that was preached, when we don't do what the Word of God says, that is of no more value than looking into the mirror without making any effort to correct what we saw in the mirror. You know, I woke up this morning, and I won't go into too great detail because, you know, some of you are easily uh, scared, and <laughs> it could be bad, uh, but, but this hair was not as, you know, I don't know what the word, I still haven't found a great word. Luxurious. That's on the list already, surprisingly. It's really good, though. I just don't know what to call it. But it didn't look like this this morning. I need a haircut. I know. I'm joking. Anyway, um, I fixed it. Okay, I fixed the problem. I saw the problem, and I fixed it, right? If you look into the Word of God, and you don't fix what you saw, you know, and sometimes it's not that hard, but if you're just like, you know, well, here come the flannel pajama pants. I've already got an undershirt on. Covers what needs to be covered. 
hair still there or, or not. Sorry, you got me earlier. I had to get you mad. Uh, here I go, out into the world, no big deal. It wouldn't have taken too much effort, but you could have fixed it pretty, pretty easily. But guys, when we look at the Word of God or hear the Word of God, we don't do something about it. It's of no more value than, than just kind of being lazy and not interested, having no concern whatsoever for spiritually how we look to God. Spiritually, how we're behaving, okay? So, um, let me illustrate this uh, in another way. I, I love this illustration, and I get that you guys probably get the point, but um, I stole this from somebody who I believe stole it from somebody else, so I don't know who to give credit to, but um, you've probably heard it before. You've got a, a son or daughter that you tell to clean their room, right? Um, this has been told probably in this room before by different guys. You tell them to clean their room. You say, I'm going to town for three or four hours or so. Shouldn't be gone too terribly long. And when I get back, I need your room to be clean, right? You're gone for three or four hours, just like you said you would be. You come home. Guess what? Room's not clean. Doesn't look like they even started on it. Now, you approach your son or daughter and ask them about this room. What's the deal? What's up? You know, and, and they tell you, you know, like, oh, dad, dad, oh, my goodness. I am so thankful that you have, have asked me to clean my room. Come again? You know, oh, Dad, thank you. Like, the, the, the fact that you have called me to clean my room, and you're like, hold on a second. I didn't ask you to clean your room. I told you to clean your room. That's a command. You know, that, that, that was a requirement, okay? And they say, you know, the way you called me to clean my room, it's so beautiful. And I know, Dad, that you did that for my own good because you love me and you care for me. And, Dad, I invited over some of my friends and we got our chairs in a circle. We talked about the, the, the commands you gave me. We talked about what you told me to do. And the more we discussed it, the more we understood in a greater way what it was you were, you were telling me to do. Oh, Dad, I even memorized what you said in the original way that you said it. I can recite it and everything. And you're just sitting here, your head's spinning, you know, and they're just like, wow, Dad, I mean, it's just amazing. They're blown away. They, they love it, but they haven't done it, right? And you're like, okay, but you haven't done what I told you to do. I gave you a task you could understand. I gave you a task you were capable of doing. Why didn't you do what I told you to do? Church, if we hear the Word of God, but we don't do what it says, we're deceiving Ourselves. That's what it comes down to. We're deceiving ourselves. James says as much in verse 22 of our text. He says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who do what? Who delude themselves. That's what someone who hears the word of God but doesn't do it. You're deluding yourself. Okay? We probably all know people who look into the mirror but they've deceived themselves about what they see there. There's, of course, extreme examples, uh, more serious examples. You know, the, the person with anorexia might look into a mirror and, and see someone, you know, who's, who's unhealthy. Right? But not because they're too thin. They've got some other misunderstanding. They think they're overweight. And they're not nearly putting on enough weight. Right? And other people on the outside, they can see you're too thin to be healthy. You, you, need, to, you need to eat, girl. You need to eat, guy. You know, come on. And then in contrast to that, there's the, you know, I had this problem one time. You know, you got the bodybuilders like myself. And uh, some go off the rails. Some can't moderate it like I do. Others go a little too far and they overdevelop. And other people uh, are, are looking and they, they think they're underdeveloped. But other people look and they see and they're like, oh, you're overdeveloped. And you need to slow down, brother. You're going too far. Praise the Lord. I had somebody in my life that told me, you know, calm down, Jake. You know, not going to be able to find shirts in your size anymore. So now I'm struggling down here. Anyway, so... Life has a funny way of changing things around, I tell you what. But here's where the spiritual rubber hits the road, guys. 
too many people hear God's word without doing what it says and they deceive themselves into thinking that everything's okay. That's how that works. That's why he says when you don't do what it says, you delude yourself because why are you not doing anything? You've at some point decided this is okay. It may have taken a little while, but at some point you decided that the, the way this is going is okay. It, it's, it's fine. You know what? I, in fact, it's fine because I'll probably do it later. You know, once kids are out of the house, I'll have more time. And man, I, I might even go to, you know, Kenya or something and preach the gospel. Yeah. You may have grand ideas. And then that doesn't happen either because, you know, well, once my health gets, you know, cleared up, cleaned up, and fixed up. I don't think that happens. <laughs> but, but anyway, you know, there's always something, you know. But, but you're okay because you're going to. Or you're okay because, you know, not everybody's called to do this. Not everybody's called to do that. You know, one way or another, you've deceived yourself into thinking that it's okay. Guys, if you're reading the Word of God, the person who, who makes no changes to their attitude or their character, their conduct, you know, their thinking... It's like convincing yourself that you're in shape by reading a, a, a fitness blog or paying a gym membership that you don't use or watching other people work out but never lifting a finger to do any exercise, changing your diet or practicing self-control. Um, it doesn't work. Some people are like Fonzie. Uh, any Happy Days? Anybody familiar with Happy Days? Okay. Um, I, I feel the need to say I was watching reruns. Like, I just want people to know in the room, like, roughly my age. I was watching reruns, okay? Um, anyway, I used to watch reruns, and Fonzie, he'd go up to that mirror, right? And he'd, he'd pull out the comb. Hey, this thing came in handy. He'd pull out the comb. It's an electronic comb, in case you didn't know. I'm just kidding. It's the slide clicker. Um, and he'd look in the mirror. <laughs> Matt, that is a really fake laugh, man. <laughs> anyway, he'd look, he'd look into the mirror, right? And he'd pull out that comb, and then he'd put the comb back. Not doing anything, right? He didn't do anything to his hair. Why? Because what he saw was perfection. Nothing was wrong. He didn't see anything that needed fixing. Guys, when we're looking into uh, the, the, the Word of God and we're looking at it intently, we should always find something. And I'm not saying beat yourself up and beat yourself down, but I'm saying look at it with a positive mindset. Look at it excited for, you know, what can I do to, to be better equipped? Right? Not to earn my salvation more or anything like that. But what can I do to be better? I love God and I want to serve Him and honor Him. What can I do? Oh, here's something. Boy, I could work on this. And I could work on that. Hey, this week I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. If you're looking intently into the Word of God and looking at that mirror and seeing areas that you're like, yeah, I'm not quite doing that. I can do better there. You're going to see those things. And you're going to do something uh, about it. Unlike Fonzie, you know, don't put the comb back away. Fix what you see in that mirror. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes about how he has this mindset that he hasn't um, made it yet, right? Meaning he hasn't received, you know, the, the, the final manifestation of his salvation. He's not in heaven yet. And he's not made, a, made it to a point where he's like, now all I have to do is sit and wait. You know, God should be back any time now. I've got my ticket. Got my bags packed. You know, he's, he's like, I'm not, nobody gets there. And so he says that he's pressing on toward the prize. He's still, he's Paul. He's an apostle of Christ. And he's like, I'm not like there, wherever there is. You know, Paul's kind of got this, it's, it's not ambiguous in a bad way, but he's, he's put it out there just for like, you know, y'all that think that there's some moment where you're just okay now and you don't have to do anything? It's like, no, I don't do that. I'm still pressing on for the prize, right? I'm still running the race. He's still learning. He's still growing. He's still improving. And he tells us we need to have that same attitude. We need to have that same mindset. Don't let your foot off the gas. Keep going. Keep doing. Keep learning. Keep improving. 
And that's so important because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everybody who says to me, you know, you can't just, can't just be it and say that you are. You've got to do something, right? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. That's a blessing to get to enter into the presence of God for all eternity. That's what he's talking about here. Blessing, ultimate blessing, comes from hearing and doing. Now, I know y'all have been waiting on this creature. Matt, how am I on time? <laughs> I gotta stop. Well, that's what they're telling me, I think. <laughs> okay, you've all been waiting on this creature and you've been waiting patiently, okay? Uh, what is this creature that was, was mentioned that I was alluding to at the beginning of the sermon? This, this creature, 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 creature. Who, who is this, right? And why does it matter? That's probably the most important thing. Well, it matters because this is a dangerous creature. A dangerous creature that we may encounter as we're looking intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, looking into God's word. So church, brace yourselves. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Are you ready? Spiritual vampires <laughs> exist today. Now, of course, I'm not talking about uh, um, vampires from books and TV shows and movies. Uh, those are fictional Vampires. I'm talking about spiritual vampires that are real. Now, of course, everybody knows that a vampire does not cast a, sh uh, not a shadow, it doesn't cast a reflection, right? Does everybody know that? Yeah, me neither. I had to research this. I, apparently, I don't watch enough movies and read enough books with vampires in them. I don't watch any of those. I don't read any of those. Okay? It's garbage. Anyway, so I did a little research. And it turns out that apparently in the fictional stories of vampires and such, they don't cast a reflection. So they can't see any of that stuff. They can see everything else. Okay? They look into a mirror and they can see what's in the background. They can see anybody else that might be looking in the mirror with them. They see everything, everybody, the surroundings, people, but they can't see themselves in a mirror. Now, some of you are pretty sharp. You proved that when you guessed that I was talking about a pig earlier. And you may have caught on to where I'm going here, right? Spiritual vampires are very similar to, in certain ways, to these fictional vampires from books and TV shows and all that kind of stuff, okay? They, they don't seem to cast a spiritual reflection, okay? They see everything but themselves. They see the world around them, the people around them very clearly, but not themselves. When they hear the Word of God, they see all the shortcomings and all the flaws of everybody around them, everybody else who's in the picture, but they're completely oblivious to their own. They're self-righteous as a result of that. They're judgmental. They have no humility. They're full of pride and, and arrogance. They often see themselves as the ones ordained by God to point out everybody's flaws and to correct all their issues and, and problems that they see, but they're unaware of their own. Very critical of, of everybody except themselves. Again, they don't, they don't think that they have any flaws. They don't realize that they're even there, but they can see everybody else's. Now, I'm not giving them a pass when I say, you know, that... that they can't see them, uh, but the fact is they can't, okay? But, but there's no past being given here. I'm just pointing out to you the dangerous nature of this because I, I definitely don't want you to become a spiritual vampire because how dangerous is that uh, situation to be in where you can't see that you have flaws? You can look at the Word of God and you see everybody else's problems. You see where everybody else needs to hear this. Everybody else needs to know uh, what, the, what the perfect law, the law of liberty says. You need to know about this. I, I've got it all under control. 
These spiritual vampires, they, they certainly don't spend any time examining themselves. They're too busy examining everybody else. Now, what keeps a spiritual vampire going is sucking the life out of the spiritually healthy people around them. These creatures, they can't live without complaining, without creating controversy. They cause other Christians around them to live in fear about, uh, uh, of how and when they might be attacked by one of these spiritual vampires. They cause people to lose sleep, to get nervous and anxious, right? That's what they do. They, they suck the joy out of everything in the church, and so they make sure that nobody else is able to be a healthy Christian. Instead, everybody around them has to be a nervous, anxious, depressed, stressed out Christian. They keep the congregation where they attend weak and sickly because whenever there are signs of growth... They drain the life out of everything. They like draining the same people again and again. They've got their favorite victims. They're used to them. They're, they're comfortable and familiar with these people. But they're constantly on the prowl for, for new, new victims who, who might falter, might stumble, might show signs of weakness, and maybe there's one to pounce on. When they see that, that's what they do. The, the spiritual vampire will pounce and drain the life right out of their victim with discouragement, with nitpicking, with fault-finding. And, and it'll just... You can see how it would suck the joy out of everything. Run somebody off, running for cover, trying to find safety. Sometimes a spiritual vampire's attack will turn others into vampires as well. There's another similarity between the spiritual vampire and the, the, the fictional vampires, right? These poor, unfortunate souls, they become like the ones who bit them so that they begin sucking the life out of others too. And if it keeps up, pretty, much, or pretty soon the, the entire church, the entire congregation becomes like these ones. And they're all ignoring Paul's warning in Galatians chapter 5, verse 15, where he says, But if you bite and devour one another... Take care that you are not consumed by one another. This is a picture that can and has happened in churches before, you guys. As you might expect, it's pretty difficult to cure a spiritual vampire because, like we said, they can't see themselves in the mirror of God's Word. They can hear an incredible, convicting sermon or a lesson and say, Boy, I tell you what, a lot of people around here, the guy over there, he needed to hear that. I'm telling you. And never, never see it in themselves. Never see anything. Maybe that guy does need to hear it real bad. But maybe you need to hear a little bit. Maybe you need to hear a lot. Maybe you needed to see it from a different angle. You know, there's five different things here, five different responses to this that, that would be appropriate depending on where your weakness is. And he's got that one, but you've got this one. Sometimes it takes a Nathan. To point the finger and say, you are the man. You guys remember that story in the, in the Bible? 2 Samuel chapter 12. Remember when Nathan told David that story about the rich man who had the great many flocks and herds. And um, he, he had a traveler come visit him, right? And it was customary. Hospitality in the Bible, especially in uh, what you read about in the Old Testament. But we're still supposed to be hospitable. Um, the hospitality custom, you know, was to feed this person. You know, let's take from our flock, let's, let's slaughter this sucker and have a barbecue, basically, you know. Um, I don't know if they had barbecue sauce, probably not. Um, but the fact is, he was going to prepare an animal for him, prepare from his, uh, from his flocks. But the rich man was unwilling to do that, right? This is Nathan's story. He's trying to get a point across to David. And uh, he, he wouldn't do that, so instead, he goes to this poor man. Remember the poor man's tiny ewe lamb? Or I think the Bible said little ewe lamb. I don't want to exaggerate. Uh, little ewe lamb that he had raised. That he was poor and all he had was this one little ewe lamb 
<clears throat> and he had raised him alongside his own children, like a pet, but along his own, alongside his own children, the Bible says, uh, like a daughter. <laughs> and the rich man was unwilling to take from his flocks and his herds that he had, uh, the Bible says, a great many of, and instead he stole this, this, this pet, this tiny ewe lamb that was like a, a daughter and a pet to this, this family, took that lamb, prepared it for the traveler. You remember David's reaction? He was fuming. He was so upset at this man in a story, by the way, but just hearing the lack of compassion, the stealing that went on, you know, this is not fair. This is just downright mean. Who would do such a heinous thing? He was so mad. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the Bible says that David's anger burned greatly against the man. He said, what did he say? He said, surely this man deserves to die and to, to make restitution fourfold. I do have to pause there and say, so he should die and make restitution. Let's make the restitution fourfold before we kill him. You know, like it's kind of hard to give stuff away or pay bills, you know, once you're gone. But anyway, uh, I, I'm sure I'm misreading that in the scriptures. But, but anyway, so David's so mad. He says this guy deserves to die because he stole a lamb. All the while, this is after David had stolen Bathsheba from Uriah, her husband, impregnated her, tried to pull the wool over Uriah's eyes, and failed. So instead, he sent, his, uh, he sent Uriah onto the front lines of this, this uh, battle and told everybody but Uriah to pull back when you get the signal so that Uriah will definitely die. Murdered him. And then David took Bathsheba as another of his many wives. When David got so upset about this lack of compassion from this rich man in a story that Nathan was giving him, 2 Samuel chapter uh, 12, verse 7, the first part of verse 7, it says, Nathan then said to David, You are the man! <laughs> You're the guy! Lack of compassion, stealing, like, but worse. You're the man. Why can't you see yourself in the story? Why can't you see yourself? This is a mirror of you. Look at it. <laughs> So maybe this message can serve as a wake-up call for some spiritual vampire who might happen to hear it. Maybe some spiritual vampire will hear this message online, might hear it in this room, whatever the case may be, and then stop terrorizing the Christians around them. But hear me when I say this. Whether you think you're a, uh, one of these life-draining creatures or not, it's a good practice to check yourself for vampire-like tendencies, right? For, for vampire-like behaviors and attitudes. If you're constantly pointing out flaws in other Christians around you, you've got a desperate and urgent need to look into this mirror, to look intently at God's Word and, and see yourself and do all the things that we learned today, right? To look intently at the, the spiritual mirror of God's Word and allow it to teach you about yourself. Let it do that because God's Word teaches us about ourselves. And to make sure, make sure, certain <clears throat> that you're not just a hearer of the Word of God, but someone who does what the Word of God says. And then finally, the, the last thing, these spiritual vampires, man, finally, just, just always be looking for your own reflection. Make sure you can see yourself in the mirror uh, of God's Word. Try to see yourself in the things that you can and need to work on. Church, like most things in the Bible, if we would just do this one thing, imagine if we did all the things, if we would just do this one thing we heard about today, We'd be so much stronger individually as Christians, but as a congregation. So much healthier individually, spiritually, but also as a, as a congregation. So, so please, 
Please learn what we've talked about today. Please put it into practice. Don't be merely a hearer only, but please strive to become an effectual doer.